welcome back to another episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast, proudly presented by Masters in Motion. This week is with cinematographer Sean Stagmeyer. Uh, I have known of Sean, and I've, I've known him personally for years now. Uh, we re- most recently hung out at uh, the Masters of Motion get-together uh, during Cine Gear in L.A., which was great. And um, Sean has been on do, being a commercial DP for a long time. He was uh, originally went to uh, AFI and graduated in, um, I believe it was uh, 07. And then he got his, uh, his first... Major award was a student ASC award, which initially, you know, garnered him some initial attention. And we kind of just talked about the the road that he's been on since then. Um, it's been interesting because I think, especially graduating at that time where there there was a recession, and not just the recession, but also the changing of the guard in terms of how things how things work in Hollywood, both on the kind of like connections, social, like social media is really changing the game and that it wasn't just all private connections anymore. And like that was, a you know, the sands were shifting as well as on the technological side where, you know, now if you're a student, you're dealing with Alexa minis and uh, red monstros and like you, you have tools to make it automatically, you know, the, the technology aspect is not the the biggest hurdle. Whereas when you were in, uh, when he was an undergrad in like 05 and then, you know, AFI right after, uh, you know, the best cameras that they had on the digital side were pre-DSLR, um, kind of borderline impossible to make look cinematic. Um, and so it was just fascinating to hear, you know, that journey and then the recession happens and how that impacts things. Um, and the road that he went on um, to get to where he is now, which is where he is now, is you know check out his website um, for his uh, full commercial portfolio. Uh, it's it's great. A lot of it is very um, short film esque, even even for commercials. Um, and then on the narrative side, uh, he just had something premiere at Tribeca, which we weren't able to talk about because it's not out yet and can't can't see it. But we did talk about Newness, which premiered at Sundance in 2017. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. Highly suggest uh, you give it a watch. It's a really you know the performances between the two actors. A very uh, uh, smaller story, uh, love story. You know challenges of trying to deal with an open relationship and the the harm that that may bring. Um, it's a really intimate portrait of a relationship and uh, that's become something that Sean is um, you know the authenticity is what he's known for and we kind of discuss well how do you approach doing that uh, as a cinematographer and how do you create environments that really bring that out and um, I thought his uh, his his thoughts on how to how, how he approaches it and, and how he deals with it were were, were great and I, I really enjoyed hearing all about that so the the second half we, we really dive into newness and I am um, I really like I really like talking about it with them. So, uh, uh, like I said, we are sponsored by Masters in Motion, which is a three day filmmaking conference that happens in Austin, Texas, every December. Right now, you can get uh, tickets at shooteditlearn.com. Really hope that you come down. Uh, ASC cinematographers, AC editors, incredible production designers, everybody comes down. Uh, they give presentations. There's also one hands-on day, and then um, you know I think the thing that sets it apart is that a lot of them stay for the for the three days, and they come out at night. Um, you know you can go and talk to them and buy them a drink and really pick their brain and have something that's a bit more relatable than just. Um, uh, listening to the presentation alone. So it's a special time and uh, all the people that come down, we've been coming down for years. And so it's a great thing to be a part of. So this week is Sean Stagmeyer on the ABC pod. Thanks for being here. Speak, 
speaking of that, Mim, sending your party, when we were talking about it, that's obviously, I think, where I initially went when Christina was like, we could talk to Sean. And I was like, yeah, we had a great conversation. Um, and you had mentioned that you went to AFI. Had you done film school previous to that? Or was that where you kind yeah. of got started? Yeah, so I, um, uh, I guess probably like our conversation mentioned, I grew up in Park City, Utah, heavy ski racing through all of growing up and uh, childhood to, so I actually went to a private academy in Utah that was for winter sports. Um, and we had the summertime is when we went to school there and then wintertime was off for uh, whatever sport you're dedicated to that you went to for the school. Um, and in the meantime, I would just always do like photography. I had a dark room in my basement. It was always just kind of for fun. And then would like basically film all of me and my friends being idiots, you know, going off jumps or doing whatever yeah. CKY-esque things were going on in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it just kind of, yeah, I went to applied to a couple of schools in California just largely to kind of get out of the ski racing thing and I was really into music um and like punk bands in California what just seemed like a Mecca good for idea. All so went to really only applied to USC and uh and Chapman University in Orange County and um ended up getting some scholarship money to Chapman so that made an easy decision to go there instead of USC where I had no help and yeah so that's where I started, did four years down there, and then um, didn't even really like film when I started there. I was What do you mean? Heavy into it. I was I was heavy into editing through high school and that's actually was like my favorite thing. My dad owned a software company, so I, through high school I'd always be editing because we had good computers and he just always was a, a nerd and showing me whatever the latest programs. Um, so I'd always be using like Premiere and just having fun doing that so I thought was the fun part and uh, so as I got to school started editing it's just not very interesting to me I guess I was bored sitting in a room or maybe the type of people that were editors that I was meeting were like just not mm. really good friends or clicking so I just started playing a lot of music going to shows being more in the music world and just kind of doing my general education credits for the first couple of years um and then one of my buddies kind of like challenged me to do my first cinematography class and then shoot his like kind of junior year project for him if I did that yeah so I was just like sure whatever let's give it a whirl and um that's just yeah, interesting because I really I, changed everything there with a lot of people that I've spoken to I don't think I've heard one person come distinctly from from thinking that they wanted to be an editor which I think that's got to be pretty yeah. helpful in the beginning because I know even like I think when you're starting out and you're doing a lot of a lot wearing a lot of hats like learning editing your own stuff that you shot is so informative in the beginning because you just get mad uh, at yourself and I like that's so valuable nonstop valuable yeah I I you know and it's hard too now seeing like the longer form of projects that I get into and the more I get distanced away from being able to like assist in any of that decision making, not being, you know, the director or editor or a producer really. Uh, I, I wish I could like take the footage home and, and try versions for myself because 
there's so many ways that I, you know, you you think of how a scene is in your head, and then um, through the collaboration and the journey of everything that happens, it completely changes and turns out differently. And you're like, oh, I wish I could have seen it how we intended to do it, so yeah. that you know I could see what kind of missteps I took in the pre-planning and and what how it became what it is. And yeah, sometimes yeah. you get that, but sometimes it's just you know, my editor brain is always working. No, for sure. I mean, I think that like you can't really evolve and get better at the like camera movement in particular until you are dealing with like the sequence building in post and like understanding how your camera movement is impacting. I mean, other things like maybe lighting and stuff, you you know, you're, you're learning, you're getting like the full width of it from the experience on set. But I think camera movement in particular um, and just how it impacts the whole scene overall, like, Without post, you're not really yeah. understanding what worked or didn't work about it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of credit uh, to doing music as well. And being a musician, you learn so much about pacing and and uh, just changes and flow and everything that kind of like goes with music. And, and I think uh, camera movement and pacing of editing and so much of that correlates when you're trying to figure out a scene or how scenes flow together or all sorts of stuff. And of course that kind of is left in the hands of other people in the end, but you're always got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause after, after undergrad, you, did you immediately go to AFI or was that, was there a lag? Yes. Yeah, so I, um, did Chapman and it was kind of, um, I finished there in 2005, which they opened this like, massive brand new state-of-the-art facility the year after i left um but yeah stages they have have like all motorized grids and like every possible camera that is even around except for panavision was like every airy camera is there all all sorts of tools for that i got pretty jealous but you know in the (laughs) end going to afi uh you learn that none of that really matters because how you tell the story is all that really dictates yeah anything so um, I did go basically straight away, um, graduated, you know, wagered what I wanted to do and just said like, well, there's one long shot of a school I would ever want to do grad school for it would be AFI. There, it wasn't that you were trying to go to like all different grad schools, but if you were to actually even go to one at all, it would have been AFI. And why were you thinking that? Uh, I mean, just in, you know, having spent enough time at, uh, Chapman and understanding kind of talking to other film school students I had met throughout the years um, and understanding how the different programs worked. And if I was the one that, you know, they really want um, as much diversity as possible in age, race, gender, experience, background, like whatever it may be, they want to try to uh, have people with more experience, older, diverse, whatever it may be. So and then you look at just the alumni list and its yeah. reputation and um, it just seemed like the only one that I was even remotely interested because it might be something different than what I had gotten out of Chapman. Cause that makes sense. Chapman was a great school. It's uh, learned technical things very well. Um, basically always had access to a 60 millimeter camera and one of my, my first cinematography teacher and who did some other classes uh, throughout the years would always allow me to like grab a roll of whatever stock he had. And he 
was constantly just kind of pushing you out the door being like, oh, go this weekend, take a SR and like this random new Fuji stock that came out and just see what you can do, yeah, have fun. That's invaluable in the um, beginning. So it was amazing. But, you know, on the, on the narrative side and as far as like, you know, actual critique of your art or what you're trying to say or what stories you're telling that just didn't really exist. You know, I think that it's something that probably a few a few DPs have on the back burner where in the earlier, I don't know, even first 10 years of your career, if things ever slow down and you've built up a portfolio, I feel like, well, there's always like AFI to try. Um, what do you think you got out of it and, and was it was it worth the, the time and the effort? It was, I would definitely say, worth the time and effort. Um, I mean, I think really any film school is worth the time and effort. Uh, if you put in the effort, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like uh, it's probably you could say that about you know any film part of your film career is the more effort you put in, probably the more you're going to get out of it. But uh, if I've made you be extremely busy, I mean the first year felt like some sort of like psycho boot camp in a way that was just you know, very industry-like in that it was like 12 plus hours a day or more where you're just classes or having to crew up on other people's short films and you just get absolutely ground down, exhausted with no time. And they um, scatter you at different kind of political things between the faculty and the rules of the short films, the budgets you have, the types of cameras you're allowed to use, which at my year was like DVC Pro, just regular SD, old bulky cameras. Yeah. And um, slightly different than today, for sure. Yeah. I mean, now it's like, because it, again, I finished AFI 2007, 8 mm-hmm. range and the 5D and like the first red were just kind of barely breaking out and starting to become a thing. So um, now, you know, it's like everything, basically a good looking image of some kind. So it's a lot different, but at the time I was doing it and the years that came before me were always kind of thrown in this circumstance where, well, it's not going to look, at least your first film, like four things you do there, they aren't going to look necessarily pristine or perfect. You're not really shooting on film, but that isn't the point you're uh, you're restricted to trying to tell the best story you can collaborate with your team. Like all the, all the rules and regulations of how they set it up were kind of bizarre at first, but now, you know, it's completely trying to toss you into how it is dealing with how how the system really works and what you kind of have to always be bending or breaking or trying to ask for favors or pull something out of your pocket to to make things happen. And yeah, uh, so in hindsight, that's amazing to get that experience. Uh, you know, while you're there, it's very frustrating. Some kids got like kind of kicked out, kind of breaking the rules, leaving. So in, uh, if I, in years past was always notorious for like kicking out half the kids after the first year that just simply weren't good enough. Mm. But as time, time went on, they realized they needed to make money and they don't really do that anymore, but they are still very strict on, you know, 
stepping outside the rules or not being like a team player, they don't really care for that too much. Um, but you know, in the end, once if anyone that becomes some sort of successful filmmaker, they don't really care what you were like at school. They'll be your best friend. Yeah, well, that's 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 every school. The nature of the business. Yeah, that's not just that (laughs) business. That's the nature of the business of uh, higher education. Um, When you got out, I think you know one of the things in the conversation that you and I had a few weeks ago that was really interesting to me is that the the idea that you know you went into school hoping to make things that were, I guess, you know, thoughtful dramas in the twenty million dollar range, and you were like, as you graduated, there was the sands were shifting underneath everyone's feet in Hollywood, and that like the core reason the core thing that you were hoping to do was just like wrapping up its run or something to that effect within Hollywood. And what, what was that like when you graduated and you were first trying to get into things and, and how are, how you were navigating that now that you were like school's done and it's trying to make, make moves. Yeah. Um, it's been an interesting, you know, ride. I don't know, in a way, it's like probably different for every kind of generation now that comes through. At least now it's clear cut enough that online and social presence can get your attention in ways to get through. But, you know, at the time it was so much more about, you know, the personal connections and who you met at AFI and all the people that you, you know, connected with and continued to connect with were the immediate connections and draw to a school like that. And they still, you know, pay off to a degree and I still talk to and see plenty of friends from there. But, um, you know, now there's just so many different ways of getting exposure. So at the time I came out uh, quite positive. I, it was, you know, late 2007, I finished my thesis film and got the student AFC award for that film that year. Um, which resulted in some agency um, interest. Yeah, did you feel, um, when you got, I mean, getting a student ASC award, I would imagine, is a great, I mean, there's no, it's one of the best ways to start off. Were you prepared for that kind of attention that it would get and the types of conversations with agencies that were coming right off the bat? Was I could feel like that could be something that might be overwhelming or not sure how to handle it correctly. Um, it's just confusing in, in, um, in talking with certain other DPs that had kind of been through it, even though I didn't really know that many people on like a higher level or doing like really bigger movies or anything. Um, but I would talk to, you know, who I would talk to and kind of reading on like cinematography.com forums about people asking similar things. Um, you know, I still kind of learned that agents aren't necessarily just going to like flip your career around all of a sudden and get you this magic amount of contacts and works that came out of left field because that's not necessarily at all the case. I mean, it can, I'd say most people probably agree that you're still on your own and, and fighting for your own work. And sure, once you do credible things, it can open doors for agencies to try and then get you into interviews or potential contacts. But um, by no means is it really going to change anything. So, you know, I was skeptical. I was like, kind of, you know, most agencies don't really like how you sign much of anything. It's kind of like a just verbal agreement that you're working together. And so kind of bounced between a couple of different lower profile, um, agencies and people for the couple of years coming out of school. But the, the stickier thing is that it was the year of, um, a big writer strike for, 
film and television and like their union kind of stopped for a while, which staggered things a bit. And then um, recession didn't help because that came mm -hmm. 2008 pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. um, so I would go up for certain low budget film interviews or try to get things and it's the classic predicament of like you don't have enough experience too young or like we like what you're doing but you know gonna go with this person that shot 10 films and is older than you even though he may or may not be quite the artistic side of what i'm looking for i mean it would you know always be that case for for a little while and I kind of continued down doing personal like music projects through, um, you know, friends bands, picking up some small commercial side stuff through just different producers I'd met, uh, um, you know, in the Chapman and AFI years and just kind of slowly was able to at least maintain paying my rent enough and, you know, not being a, a full bum, but uh, not having to still like crew or do a lot of AC work on the side. I mean, I would operate for friends a little bit, but I was fortunate enough to at least get like a smaller random string of photography or yeah. DVD or different things that would music videos that would kind of keep me busy enough for that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was just no real push into the narrative world very quickly after school, which was, uh, um, probably just a larger part due to my like just lack of ambition to just go like search out those contacts for directors and, and producers. Why? Which I was, why was there a lack know, like, of ambition? Leaning in the post AFI like dream as if you know the people I did my thesis film and would get a movie and I'd get that like amazing Lebatique uh, Aronofsky sort of dream story or something where you think then you'll just go on and make you know, pie or something, but, um, you just keep getting like a lot of the directors that came out of my year and people I worked with ended up being kind of dipping over to writing pretty quickly. And, um, there just wasn't that big of an explosion of independent films like that I could go interview for. It's, it's and when you say, time. when you say lack of ambition for grinding in that direction, why, why was that? What was going on there? Um, I mean, I think there's probably the main couple of reasons were just happy doing kind of the projects I was doing because it allowed mm -hmm. probably the most flexible amount of like creativity and time and use of what I was trying to do. Um, you know, trying to break into like the short form, higher paid visual things was like the goal at the time to just then kind of get some sort of financial stability. But, uh, you know, I think probably a bit of fear of not wanting to like, you know, literally make no money shooting a hundred thousand dollar movie was scary to me and yeah. maybe just didn't really want to dig into that sort of like brutal. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it was, all, it sounds it like it was me. also pragmatic then in a, uh, in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, you know, seeing good friends come out and they were a lot of friends out of AFI at the time that I know were largely pouring over to reality TV was the, the main area in which other people were making money. 
So I felt lucky that I was able to not have to grind through like the crazy stories we've heard about yeah. schedules and predicaments that reality TV puts you in. I was happy just to be like, oh, well, I mean, I got like five days of random commercial work this month. That's enough to like at least get me through with what I'm mm-hmm. having to pay for at the moment. And that left a lot of time to do personal projects or photo or whatever random fun things. Um, and at the time technology was changing so much, like all the different random toys of weird motion control, Kessler things, all the different stuff that was out there was starting to become. Yeah. I was going to say like, that oh, potential for ideas and having this, to, having like, this conversation to do different stuff. Yeah. No, have, having this conversation made me realize that you graduated at a really hard time in the sense of like, I think you're right in that right now there's a much like clearer sense of where things are now that kind of like social media has become normal and it's been around for long enough that there's like a certain understanding of how it can be applied. And then on the technological side for camera stuff, like you were right before there was a technological revolution. And then like your first couple of years weren't when things were good. They were when things were like very odd and not and like super clunky. Yeah. Um, that's like a hard, uh, five-year period to like navigate when when do you think the first do you have a recollection of when like the first things were really starting to land that were you know concretely steps in the right direction that you felt for your career like any 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 main project that kind of made that feel that way even in retrospect yeah um it was kind of like a, a three real things like kind of three things that happened that were a chain of events over about a year that shifted so i um had this random video because it was like 2010 or so that um crazy volcano in iceland erupted and that was at the time where like you know tom Lowe just started doing some of these cool time lapses that you would see online and it was starting to become viral where you could like do these panning things with like a telescope head so i started playing around with that and then like you know, soon enough, the the little like Moco sliders started coming around. And I think it was really only Kessler that was making like half season one um, at the moment. So I was like trying to get my hands on that and play in there. And I was doing, you know, I did like some time lapse music video things that I just basically would road trip around and shoot stuff. And so this basically uh, random volcano is erupting in Iceland. I was like, I want to go shoot that because I randomly actually got fired from a feature for not having enough credits from the producer. Like I got hired by the director, got fired the first week I was prepping because they realized it was my first movie and I was frustrated. So I'm like, I'm just oh, getting man. on the plane. We need to go do something. I want to go just film that, for fun. That's a heartbreaking and, situation. Yeah. <laughs> not to gloss yeah, over I'm that, sorry. but I mean that like, <laughs> I mean, important to, to note that. I mean, that's cause I, getting your first feature is a catch 22 in and of itself. And then to be in prep cause director wanted you and then the producers pull it. Like that's got a yeah. k- kind of amazing though, that your reaction is, well, I'm going to follow my nose and do something that I want to do. And then you're now you're about to say that that had a big impact. Yeah. And that, that uh, so I shot this little thing and that in itself is quite a long story of um, kind of threw out a random tweet of just like, if anybody could help me, locate one of these like time-lapse sliders just for a week to borrow or anything yeah um was kind of you know but at that time i hadn't really have 
enough clout to like necessarily some companies be like, Oh, you're great. Oh, we'll give you one. So, but, um, randomly, uh, Jay of dynamic perceptions, which at the time was like not any company at all, but he was like, Hey, I'm actually working on this prototype thing and thinking you could probably borrow one of my extra ones. So randomly just kind of had to fly to Denver, uh, Detroit on this red eye, pick it up from him at the airport then fly back to Seattle, then ended up eventually making my way to Iceland throughout the process, this like crazy contraption that he made broke. And so I had to re-solder this basically like kitchen timer thing into get the glider to work again. <laughs> and then there was terrible weather in Iceland. It was like the worst trip ever. Like everything was failing completely just wasted my money. I was frustrated. Like, why I even went out there and then I got like a two-day window where all of a sudden the weather opened up we got to see it I shot some random material that I was just like well at least I got to see this cool volcano and shoot something um so I kind of put this little video together a few days later when I went home just sent it to my friends on Vimeo or whatever posted it it kind of just got some random like staff pick traction and then before you know it like wake up the next thing it's like a million views and starting to get buzzed for just being like a stylish way of documenting this event that has been so like news-based and really, you know, there's so much amazing photography and stuff that came out of it. But at the time it was just like, Oh, a news footage of this thing. And it was shutting down all the airports in Europe is like kind of a good news story. So all these news outlets all of a sudden started like buying up my stock footage and using it. And it ended up in all these like BMW commercials and all these different ads. Um, kind of poked my way into bigger commercials by, you know, these companies wanting to have this like time-lapse unit. So I got to jump on a bunch of car commercials at that point, start getting up like my union days and working on some like, you know, bigger list, A-list sort of size commercials as this like second unit guy. Um, and so that was kind of tipped things a little bit, um, but then the real tipping point happened, I guess, like probably a year after um, where I kind of went back, was doing another short project. And then um, through my girlfriend, she introduced us to her girlfriend's boyfriend at the time. And anyway, we his name was Drake Doremus, who then at the time just won Sundance and we got along really well. And so then him seeing this like personal stuff I was doing in Iceland brought me on like this big commercial and it was his first real commercial and that uh kind of opened up a whole slew of things because yeah he he directed then, newness yeah what was that right because he directed newness sorry you broke up there on me he he directed newness right yes yeah yeah which was that was much many much later, later but yeah at yeah the time he was coming off of doing Like Crazy, that one at Sundance, and then um, he had a second film um, called Breathe In. And so that's, I met him right after he filmed the second film. And so we started doing a lot of commercial work together, became really good friends, and um, just did a lot of projects. Um, really, because the first one we did ended up winning a lot of awards at Cannes. And, it was kind of this branded content uh, called The Beauty Inside that was for Intel Toshiba. It was actually like a six-episode, like, short TV thing. And, wow. And uh, 
it was like posted on Facebook and had, uh, you know, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Topher Grace. And it's kind of like, that was, that was really the biggest turning point because I won awards and was, yeah. you know, got a lot of ad notoriety. So, and did you feel a shift happen when your, your stuff won, wins it can and like you, there's, are you in a different place was, at that point? It definitely shifted uh, to then now it was like, you know, true union commercials were now on the table and like yeah now my agent could kind of start to put me in a caliber with uh some other people and um and with different production companies and now that i had that bigger project it also steamrolled uh a lot of work with drake for the next couple years to come um and yeah that was kind of the main shift but it really stemmed from doing just like you know random short passion projects in iceland at the time and i mean i think if there's kind of open the door up yeah the more that i talk to people the more constants there are and i i think the biggest one is that the only thing that ever got people anywhere was passion stuff like you know yeah. the you know the and especially in the beginning when the stuff that's paying your bills you, you don't want to be doing it but you're doing it because it's paying your bills at least it's floating that while you're working on your passion stuff and then the passion stuff if it's if you nail it i mean that's when things really start to happen when do you feel like you yeah did it take a while for you to be making um things that were paid like on the commercial side that you actually felt that you were enjoying in terms of like what the final products were and what the cinematography was in that because i mean now at this point having spent you know, some days going through the portfolio, like there's, there's so many, um, commercials that are on, on, you know, in your website that are just like short films practically. I mean, obviously super concise, but they're great, you know, and I could see them being really satisfying on the artistic side. Like how long did that take to start to come to fruition? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really started with that first one because that one, I mean, really wasn't even a commercial. It's like a yeah, it sounds like fifty-page a... script or something, and it was getting broken up. But I mean, we basically just treated it like a movie. Like we didn't even think of like where the episode gaps were or anything. It was simply just let's just take this script and do you know Drake is an AFI person also who was there two years ahead of me. So we ended up largely getting along so well because of the tons of mutual friends we had and just the style in which we wanted to tell stories like. We, you know, coming out of AFI was just nothing but trying to make the best story possible. So we saw this thing, and it's kind of an unusual script idea. It had, like, kind of this, like, Malkovich-like oddness to it. But basically, the main character, like, changes their body form throughout the story, like, day to day. And it's, like, almost a a disease that they have or something. But it's... um, kind of just so ridiculous that but we were like well let's just treat it you know as straight as possible make it as heartfelt as we can play it as just like the best and most clever michelle gondry-esque sort of way we can kind of do it yeah but to our you know to our liking and what we want to do and um and that helped a lot and then you know as it had the success it did that opened up quite a good opportunity for like pretty good commercial projects that were coming because they wanted like me and him to tell short stories. They wanted to like see a story happen because he's such a feature guy and 
um, after the success. So we would get jobs that were like very narrative based little stories that, you know, to me are like the best. If you could like, you know, a little short story in a commercial or sports are basically yeah. like my two favorite it's, things when it comes to doing commercial side. So yeah, it's so, yeah and it, it comes and goes. I mean, at the time those commercials were, we hit like a really good streak of, well, as soon as you come off of any like prestigious award and commercials, you're going to be put into a different caliber for a while of like work that mm-hmm. is much cooler creatively. But, uh, um, yeah, now it's like, as things are pretty steady, it's, it's just hit or miss. Sometimes you get a good sure. one, but a lot of times it's like, you know, make this device look good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the thing I'm thinking about now is just that, you know, it's, I didn't realize how long you have been working with Drake um, and to go from so many things together. How how do you think, how do you maintain that relationship for so long? Because I would also imagine like one of the challenges is, you know, as a director is also gaining in profile that, you know, you're computer you're competing against the potential for them to be working with more experienced DPs and that it's hard to continually, you know, work with that director because of the success that you're having with them. It's like, you know, there's a, an interesting catch 22 there. And how, how does that, how'd you manage to foster it and maintain it? Um, yeah, I mean, it was largely due to, being such good friends, having so much in common, um, just seeing eye to eye and storytelling and what the goals were and accomplishments, but, uh, and just always trying to, you know, push the boundaries of like how to cover a scene or how to tell a story and how to like make it our own and unique and yet allow, you know, he works very open to, you know, the space and the blocking and the, acting is never really anything that's pinched in so you know we just got along due to our ability to you know see eye to eye and like how we should like move through a scene or how we should allow space for the the story to kind of unfold and us to be aware of it while also making it and so it was it's kind of just a growing process of how you get along creatively but on a personal side we just were such good friends and um, our girlfriends were best friends at the time. So we were just doing a lot of personal things together as well. Um, but, you know, as, as time evolves, people change and uh, it's, you know, I got married, had a kid and there he's not together with the thing girl anymore and just life yeah. unfolds in unusual ways that, yeah. um, you know, we still see each other and, want to continue to do narrative work and other work. He doesn't even, I don't think, do many commercials at the moment. Um, I've just been kind of trying to grind through movies as much as he can. But, uh, you know, it, it's difficult. It's like, I always find it amazing to see those relationships of DP directors that go on for so many years and so much time. But it it really does come to a point where after you've worked with somebody so much that you you can just tell like when things are good or bad just by like a simple look over this way or that yeah. way if like a scene's working or mm-hmm. something isn't or they like it or they re- or we're not responding to it or whatever it just becomes so much easier to break down um 
you know, and working with new directors is couldn't be more opposite because you're constantly like most of the time you're just trying to figure out how the director's like responding to certain situations so that you can then like yeah go with that vision because um you know going into new projects are always so hard you you know you can talk about it all you want but until you're physically like caught in a predicament with somebody you don't know how they're really going to react or how they're going to be able to manage a stressful decision making point and sure. getting over that hurdle and being able to then do that well together is something that you know I see that you don't want to get rid of and that's why people do cling together so well and are always working together is because they've been through so many issues and problems and know how to resolve it know how to see when each other is liking something and that it can happen just in like a split second of a glance as opposed to you know yeah, something more the formal. many conversations that can unfold when you're all confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I did, I did want to talk about, you know, I hadn't seen newness and now that it's on Netflix, which I hope everybody takes a second to watch while listening to this podcast. Cause I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought that the work you did in it was great. And I, I wanted to talk about it, um, in, in depth, uh, especially now knowing too, that it's, you know, cause I guess when you made newness, how many years have you been working with Drake up until that point? Six or seven, something, something um, considerable. Yeah. Probably six or seven around there. Yeah. Yeah, and or six or seven. Yeah. What were your What were your thoughts after reading the script, and like, what made you excited to, to to shoot it, initially? Um, yeah, I mean, it it was always like talked about, and we had always, for many years, just been wanting to do movies together. Um, we actually were going to do, he did a movie called Equals. Um, we were going to do that one together, but it kind of came at a unfortunate exact time that my son was being born and uh, ended up backing out. And so I couldn't end up doing that project, which was a much bigger project, but that was kind of originally supposed to be our first film together. Oh, really? Um, I could see that being... Which would have been a, a different scope altogether with, but... Either way, we had been talking about doing movies for long enough that it was like, as soon as he was like, I just want to make a movie uh, in L.A., small, give it kind of just an intimate vibe, and I was like, I'm in, of course. But uh, once I read the script, it, it, it's uh, tricky because the script on this one was actually pretty fleshed out, but he's known for kind of not even having fully, like, written dialogue for his scripts. Oh, really? Um a lot of his scenes will just be kind of about an idea of like, this is what the argument will turn into, or this scene is just romantic and, you know, let the actors like find and feed off of the location or each other and just kind of like see where things take us. Cause, um, but this one, it was written out a little bit further than I was anticipating, but still love the script. It was just, we kind of were, between all the personal life stuff, this movie basically is just so personal to Drake and knowing him and all the different uh, relationships over the years that oh, yeah. reading the script is like, I know this story. Right. I've been through, like, I'm living this story. So, yeah. Um, you know, and that's where he, is, you know, does his best work as like crazy as, you know, so and I get biographical for him. So, um, you know, to me, it was interesting making it because we'd get into certain scenes where I'd be like, wow, I 
remember the kind of real life version of this and now in filming oh, that's fascinating like, that you get to have that to kind of but you get to have to, that kind of like experience since yeah. you know him so personally um i wanted to say like it was a it was a great cameo by you uh that i noticed <laughs> in there i was like wait a minute um yeah. which is in uh you know great acting hope you got your sag card like, off of that like in the first Minute or so, yeah. yeah, and very personal, you know, very vulnerable <laughs> for everybody. I'm not even gonna. I don't want to spoil it, but because uh, it comes quick and and totally out of the blue, which I really enjoyed. Um, but before we dive into this completely, I mean, I think it's also something to note because you know the fact that it sounds like with equals that being a huge opportunity with someone that you've been building a re- relationship with, and then your own personal life, which is obviously something you're very happy about in terms of like the birth of your child but that getting in the way I mean those are the things that I think freak out a lot of us where we want to have those types of life experiences but then we worry that it's gonna get in the way and then it 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 did for you and I I just wonder like what was it like going through that and then I mean it's great that Nunes came around to give the opportunity to do the the feature with with Drake in that way um what is that like um it's was quite difficult at the time. Um, I don't know if there's really much to be said about it other than, you know, it sucks that it worked out timing wise. I don't think, um, emotionally really handled it very well. And was pretty rude to (laughs) Drake and his girlfriend at the time, but, uh, Mm. really just out of my own kind of frustration that, Mm-hmm. I took out in ways that I shouldn't have and we basically moved on apologized and were too good of friends to like let it you know necessarily screw that up uh, so as time went on we just kind of shook past it and did yeah. what we could do to keep working together and try to maintain our friendship because that's awesome. know, it's been so many years of great times and um, he's been such a good friend over the years that it was, you know, we just had to move past it, but yeah, yeah it's, it, it's frustrating, but you know, you, life comes at you in so many ways. You're just going to do the, you know, it's picking the, the root of decision-making that would result in the least amount of regrets, which was, you know, not being there for the birth of my son would have been probably the stupidest move ever. But, uh, yeah. you know, at the time we were like, we got him, we had a passport lined up for like, right when he was born, he was going to, get a passport and come join us because the movie is filming in Japan and Singapore for like four months. So it's like, Oh, oh wow. we'll, we'll bring you out there. And we were just so naive and like thinking that you just pop a, you know, week old on a plane and go take off to Asia or whatever. And it's like, as we, as I kind of was starting the prep and we were talking about it in the month leading up to it, it just kind of evolved into like, this just isn't. So really you really tried for a minute. To make sense. What was that? So you really tried to make it happen for a minute until it became clearly too yeah. much. And I think I was, um, my wife and I, largely myself, were probably just, you know, so excited for the opportunity and a little overly ambitious to make it work that yeah, the re- reality of, you know, having your first child is pretty strenuous and difficult situation. So I can't imagine yet. To add a first major feature being gone in Asia for four or five months on top of that. Yeah. Well, um, we had actually just, just gotten married the previous year and bought a house, and there's just a lot going on that year. Yeah. Well, wild, wild year. 
Yeah, well, thanks for sharing. I mean, I'm glad, you know, it's nice to hear the human moments because you did get through it and then you did make newness and I thought it was awesome and uh, excited to talk about it. The the naturalistic approach, um, I always find it interesting because I feel like I see it happen two ways where you can have a naturalistic approach with the cinematography that there's something where it it's so natural that it lacks polish and then there's stuff that does have the polish even while still maintaining something that feels really, you know, untouched, but it still remains beautiful. And I think that newness falls into that category. How much was, yeah, <laughs> fist bump, how much, how much um, was that discussed beforehand in terms of like that was the elevated goal, even while still maintaining something that felt at times that there just wasn't, you know, any, uh, it, it felt so real. To, to, to those yeah. moments and it felt like a lot of it was just like you know natural soft light coming from the window and I know that that's not the case but yet it became um, the overarching feeling there and it, it, it gets to the point that it works so well that it becomes I don't know there are a lot of these scenes and the, the raw emotion behind all of them it, it felt voyeuristic in a way in a, in, a, in a great way and I think that the cinematography really played into that yeah I mean that that kind of sums up the goal that we had so that's nice to hear but um, <laughs> great you know it's, it it's definitely one of those movies that you want to make sure you're like out of the way at the right times to allow the performance and the, the emotion to be as thick and to the fullest of its potential as you can possibly get it there but you know you want to create up the create this visual rhythm and a sensibility of like what the movie is supposed to feel like within, you know, certain scenes and arguments. So when like the most emotional ones happen, it really does feel like the most kind of raw and gut wrenching. And so, you know, you're still trying to structure things in ways, you know, what type of lens choices like for certain conversations and what type of camera movements you're wanting to like reserve for this type of scene or that, or, you know, how you proceed the structure is still the same as you're going to like approach any film, or at least for me is like trying to break down that the character arc, trying to break down like the decision-making of these two main characters and like what they're going through emotionally to decide like this should be, you know, fully erratic handheld because they're like absolutely losing their mind on feeling vulnerable and like taking advantage of whatever, it may be, uh, and then, you know, this scene is, you know, they're in love, but it's so simple. We just can kind of like let a camera just sit there and watch it and we don't have to move or overly do anything yeah. other than just put this like beautiful soft light and well, like, I wanted, let the moment unfold. I wanted to ask you about that partic uh, specifically because I felt like they had, especially in that, um, you know, when they're first falling in love, the chemistry was so palpable. Um, it was mm -hmm. so it was so good between them, and obviously a certain amount of that is just because they're good actors. But you know, from a DP's perspective and from your role, do you feel like that? Like, what were you doing to to let that flourish? Um, you know, it's those like the romantic stuff is you know to me some of my favorite things to do because you're it's the most you like aware you have to be as an operator and like a DP, like you see something that's unfolding, like where they're just 
in between a shot and like doing some stupid thing with like throwing an ice cube at each other, whatever it may be, where they're just like bored and being two people having fun because it's like we're at 2 a.m. of an overnight shoot and sure. everyone's starting to get a little wacky. And yeah. so you just kind of have to be in those like on your toes where it's like, oh, we're kind of set up for this shot with all this moving light or like we're doing this other thing over here that we're getting ready for. But it's in between moment, you're like, wow, they're like being so real and genuine right now. You just kind of have to like take advantage of seeing those moments and just rolling on it and starting to like go through it as a friend and just be like kind of there with them joking around and be present in the like fun that's happening because like that genuine attraction of what they're doing with each other, you know, it's, you know, half of them just having fun, but being within the character of the moment. And like, you just don't really know what you're going to get in those types of scenes. And that's my favorite thing. And like, I, I for some reason I always go back because I guess like the first movie when I was at Chapman that kind of like popped my eyes open to like understanding that sensibility was, um, a new world Malick's like yeah. Pocahontas movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. so the first time I saw it, it was like, I'd seen the other Malick movies and understood his like kind of general role of how he likes to make things and him being an AFI guy. I always, uh, I like looked up all his student films, was kind of obsessed with him for a bit. But when that movie came out, it was like when I was just, I think just starting at AFI maybe or something. But uh, it, the romance, certain romance scenes in there just felt like kind of so different than other movies. And I loved it. And just, you know, now that style the Malick style of life is so common and like right. prevalent, but, yeah. um, but I think it's, it's more the general understanding of like taking that spontaneity of like allowing an actor to be like, Oh, there's a photo booth over there when we were doing these club things. And it's like in the movie where they like go and take pictures yeah, yeah. and then they're like trying to like spit ice into each other's mouth back and forth. And these things that like, totally unplanned not anything that we've could oh, have wow. it's just just unfolds and you just have to be like aware enough in in space of like how you're lighting the environment and mm-hmm. allowing like a little extra breathing room um for those things to unfold because sure it might not be like oh you need to like i wish you were a little more over here by this you know light mat i had set up sure or whatever sure maybe it's like you, you can't you gotta be able to under like anticipate those things happening to almost like light environments to allow yourself that well everybody yeah make that happen. i mean everybody talks about you know lighting the environment to let them move around in it but there's still even the notion of well you're doing that um you're lighting it that way so that once you start rolling you can get what you need but what you're talking about in terms of as you're resetting and you know lights might be moving around that you're have the awareness and presence to like be watching the actors while your crew is changing everything else around and that's you know because i think that one of the biggest things like one of the hurdles that i know that i'm going up against knowing with my own evolution is that you know as you start to figure out the craft there is a is a competing desire that well i know i know how to make something really beautiful so you try and be like prescriptive to that but in doing that you're sucking the energy out of what could potentially be happening and like that is the knife's edge that you're riding on of, well, I want it to be as prescriptive as possible so that it can like be the way that I want it to be. Cause I'm finally at a point where I know like how to make it super beautiful and to me, but at the same time yeah. to do that is to at times just like kill 
the 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 mood and i think when i'm watching like your film i the, the thing that i'm thinking is like it's amazing because it's like both are happening at the same time and that's like where the real skill yeah lies and that's i mean that just comes down to you know i think in drake and i really always breaking down like what we love about movies what like what movies we like the most what affects us the most and it's like it is that nice edge of teetering on realism and like being dramatic to the point where it feels super authentic. That was like probably the most important word is just always trying to make it authentic and not try to like trick the audience in any way or, um, yeah, you know, make it a movie movie is, well, there was something that you did. I've had call it. There was, yeah, there was something that you did that I wanted to ask in terms of, um, if it was planned or if it happened in the moment, because when they were in one of their arguments, when they were in one of their arguments and they were in the kitchen and then the argument goes from the, uh, the kitchen to the bedroom and with the camera, you followed her all the way in to the, to the bedroom. And it wasn't that the whole fight was a one but that specific moving from one bedroom, from one room to the other was in a longer shot. Um, and I felt like that allowed for it to maintain this feeling of happening in real time versus, you know, what could have easily been a cut. And I was just curious how, you know, was that specific thing blocked out ahead of time or were you just finding that in, in, in the moment? How, how much of that was prescribed? Um, I, you were breaking up a little there at the beginning of that question, but I think I got the gist of it about, you know, the camera movement from bedroom to bedroom and, those scenes that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so the main actress, um, did a film that was this German film that, um, called Victoria and you can check it out on Netflix. Unbelievable. And it was all one shot and it was truly all one shot. Wow. Um, and she, that was kind of the movie that at least got Drake's attention to hire her. And we watched it and we're, she's amazing. But, um, it kind of inspired us to try and have these arguments unfold just as one take mm-hmm. um, with the goal of trying to have like certain shots last a long time, but never really the goal of like, Oh, it has to be a one or like we are so it just has to never have an edit. Like that was never really like, cause we didn't, we just didn't need the trickery of like being cool or making some crap shot that right. everybody can wow at. We just wanted to make, feel very real and like you can't get away from the conversation much like when you're in an argument with a, you know someone you're in a relationship with you you're kind of like dreading it that you got to get through it you can't get out you can't get away from it but you're just like and you're in each other's space it's uncomfortable it's yeah like that just is how it is so yeah we wanted to try and best you know get that feeling so we we're trying to have as long a moment as possible whether they're awkward or not perfect with the camera, like whatever. So we would, you know, certain, certain conversations and arguments. My favorite one actually is, um, this one where they come home after he had, um, a lunch with his parents and she found out that he like wasn't telling her certain things about family and past relationships. So we shot the scene originally. It was like they were in bed later before going to bed. And then they like turned it into this argument. And then the next day we watch it, don't really like the way it turned out. So we shot it again mm. with slightly blocking in the bed 
and a different performance by them, but essentially the same idea and still didn't work. So like another few days go by and we find the time in our schedule to go shoot that scene one more time. Oh, wow. And, um, and so I was like, well, realistically, like if you kind of, if a girlfriend finds out this sort of information, at least my wife would never like last that long to like get, you know, bring this up. Mm. So I was like, why don't it, why don't it, why don't we just have them like walk in and she starts the conversation of like, so yeah. it's in the same way. So it's like, they just came from, you know, the lunch and she confronts them on it just then. And then it just evolved into like, they're in the living room, through the kitchen, back into the bedroom, out of it. Then she goes back into the bedroom to get some stuff and just kind of all over the place. And so we basically just did the scene like three or four times. And I would just kind of like tell Drake, I'd be like, depending on whose performance mindset, he would kind of like direct a little further or like, you know, depending on which person he wanted to capture first based on like, you know, reasons of, you know, maybe uh, Laya was like the one that we wanted to get her first reactions of this. So like we had just basically go into the first take being like, okay, I'm going to lean more on following her. Mm. And then if I naturally drift into the other, you know, his coverage at all, or if I have to paint over like whatever, well, but I'll lean more on trying to be like, you know, 60 to 80% based on getting her coverage and follow her. And then we'll see what happens and how it evolves. So I would just have to be kind of like, you know, on my toes in the argument, basically just in there. And it was like on a 32 mil lens. So it's like wide enough that I'm present but you know still flattering enough to look decent in a close-up sort of lens that's like and uh, that's got to be the most fun i mean that's like that's the best that's the best yeah and then you know with that when it comes into like lighting and the blocking and stuff that then it just turns into like you kind of give them a few parameters but it's more or less they can go wherever but we you know with the production designer and everyone we kind of agreed to we ended up painting their bedroom walls like a navy blue so i basically would have a ton of negative fill built into the room mm-hmm. so the one the one big window that was in their room was like the lighting source and then i wouldn't have to worry about mm-hmm. you know if it's white walls or something lighter mm-hmm. you're gonna guess it's just pretty flat and boring and fill everywhere so it was nice because we and then the rest of the apartment was like darker brick yeah um and had a nice amount of contrast kind of built in yeah that we, we balanced enough and prepped to where to get it to a point where then they could just run around everywhere and more or less they're going to get this like well that's half the battle backlit by a window or half lit by the window and have some nice drama in the lighting just because of the location yeah like the, the location choice and then the production design within it is like doing so much of the heavy lifting for you that it, it allowed yeah. Like as I was watching it and I was just like taking in the geometry of the space and where the light, where the windows were, uh, how many windows there were and the great light that it got. I was like, man, like this is, you know, you could just tee off in here and let them just mm-hmm. like rip and, and like just embrace both of them who were just both so great um, in terms of their performances. I could just see that being uh, such a fun place to play in, uh, especially if you're in that type of... Um, scenario where you're you guys are being so open to like i think it's amazing that it took you three different shoots of that scene over the course of multiple days continually going back to it because it didn't feel like authentic enough um it's a you know 
that's it's wonderful to have that type of space. Yeah. You yeah, know. and that, um, you know, that's just more things in prep of being like, and, you know, Drake is kind of used to the idea because he's done it in his other movies too, and I've always been, that's always like a dream to me to be able to reshoot scenes. Man, that's like... Yeah, doesn't happen all that. the time. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, and like, I, to me, I, I always found, or like, always try and convince producers, I'm like, the best way you could ever shoot a movie if you wanted to succeed is if you could make 60% of it or like take 60% of the budget and go try to make it and then go take the, you know, then go edit it, wait a month and then go back and shoot the other 40% of your money out on reshoots mm. or redoing scenes mm-hmm. or filling in gaps that did or didn't work because mm. it changes and evolves so much that to get it all right on a low budget movie within like the five weeks or four weeks you're given and no reshoots is, I mean, it's next to impossible to get a, coherent and properly told story let alone you know a brilliant one and reshoots are so valuable valuable so we we just inherently we're like well we're gonna have to reshoot scenes so we just have to be ready to like you know work fast and have to potentially redo some of these apartment things and um so we're just kind of always on our toes making sure we're liking stuff and if there was a location we weren't going to be in ever again you know um we had to be a little extra specific and think if we liked sure, it. Maybe sure, sure. Had a couple shots to do a little more, but you felt when the pressure it was like then. the apartment or the bigger scenes, you just kind of plan for potential failure so you can learn from it. That's amazing. That's so. That's like I, you know, you're talking about like dream case scenario for these smaller, intimate um, relationship type movies. Because um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and it sounds like it benefited a lot from this, was that um, from the time when they go out on their first date all the way through until they're they go out to dinner with his friends and like you know they're having um at that restaurant there's this whole mm-hmm. it's essentially only when they got to the restaurant and it finally like the music stopped and they were back into like dialogue with other people i like paused the movie and i was like holy shit that was just a falling in love montage that didn't feel like a montage at all but it was basically and like yeah i think the you know i think people can have their opinions on montage in general, but that like generally it's a crutch, you know, people are like, well, that's a crutch and it, it's better if it doesn't, if, if whatever you need to have happen in that short amount of time doesn't feel like a montage. And I think that, you know, this is one of my, the best examples, I think, of a montage that doesn't feel like one at all, but it does achieve showing, you know, something happening over a longer period of time in a short amount of time. How, um, what was the conversation like in preparing for that and delivering on a result that is essentially what I'm talking about. How, how cognizant were you all in that? Yeah. And that, um, you know, that beginning montage, especially was like, we had so much more shot than what ended up in there. Mm. But I love, I mean, there's so much more to the story that it wasn't really about the falling in love. That was never really, no, the issue and relationships like this and more, um, you know, that we've all been in mm-hmm. that like brief honeymoon period of the first, you know, whatever, maybe month, six months, whatever mm-hmm. time period where it's so perfect always kind of feels that way. It feels like these vignettes of just perfection and random laughing and different, you know, dinners or events or 
moments and snippets that are so perfect that that's just kind of like how they live in our mind. Um, so to us, that was actually probably the easiest part of the whole movie was just doing that stuff because there was mm-hmm. kind of second nature of like fun. And like yeah. I was saying, you get those, a lot of spontaneity and you get to like play with it because doing, doing spontaneous moments when it's a full fledged argument and emotional is so, uh, just exhausting for the actors. You only get so many takes that. Oh, it's draining caliber. Yeah. Uh, But when it comes to like fun and love, you could do that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a drug. It's a drug in and of itself. Well, I know that we're going long, so I, I, I try and trying to wrap it up. Um, so obviously, you know, this, uh, film goes to Sundance and that's, that's a, 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 you know, a great achievement. How was, um, that experience for you? watching it have success? Um, it was awesome. I mean, yeah, it was kind of like the dream place to have a movie premiere, of course. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up in Park City, so... Oh, I right. Saw, I, you know, I've been to that festival or seen stuff go through there so many times, so it was really fun because... Uh, That's so cool, was in, like, a hometown premiere at Sundance. Yeah, yeah, and it was in, you know, on a stage I've been many times as the regular high school's auditorium, which was not the high school I went to, but uh, mm-hmm. either way, I've been in there a million times, so it was, it was really cool. That's special. It. Well, cool. Um, and then what are you uh, hoping for? Um, just one last question just about the future a little bit. Is it stuff that mm. kind of falls into the category of things like newness, or are you hoping for things to kind of grow in scope? Yeah, I mean, I did a... Uh, movie last year that uh, premiered at Tribeca this year. Um, it was called Only and was on a smaller scale, but mm-hmm. much more ambitious in its, you know, quasi sci-fi tone and a lot more world building and a lot more. Oh, cool! A lot more production went into this goal. Um, right. And so the director of that movie has some projects coming up next year. Um, mm-hmm. Drake and other friends have other projects that seem to be going into next year, but it's just kind of like a development game of what I can do next. But yes, I, I'd say the million dollar, you know, just over a million dollar range has definitely exhausted me a bit for now that trying to look for something a little bit larger than that so that I can, you know, not go totally crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you certainly, um, you know, sharpen your teeth on that in that budget range. Cause I mean, something like newness, I, I, you know, I didn't, um, read anything about it before, for watching. I just wanted to watch to talk to you about it. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought that, you know, the work that you get, you did in, in particular, and I'm sure in conjunction with Drake, just in terms of creating an environment to bring that stuff out, it was, uh, it was really fun watching. So, cool. uh, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the one that premiered at Tribeca, and uh, you know, just thanks for uh, for sitting down and, and chatting. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>